Let's turn back to the reading of John 15. It was interesting. Uh, Brother Rex was sharing some of his stories as a private investigator. <laughs> He's got some very interesting tales to tell. <laughs> and uh, we had asked him to, if he was able to come and take the morning service and share his testimony. It would have gone for a, a few hours, <laughs> but he wasn't able to do that. No, we should have done it while he was well enough to do it. But the Lord knows, and there has been a recording put together on the couch up there by another pastor. So pray as his family, I think, visits this, some of the family visit this weekend. Visit with Brother, Brother Rex. It's good to have got to know him over these past five years that he was able to attend. He came mainly to the evening service. As if you don't... Who's Brother Rex? Well, he come to the evening service and, and shared stories. He was around when Arthur Stace was around in Burton Street Baptist Church in Sydney who wrote The Eternity on the Bridge. And uh, so he knew Mrs Stace. She was the sergeant of the kitchen, he said. <laughs> you don't go into her kitchen at Burton Street Baptist without her permission. <laughs> As Mrs Stace... But he told many stories, and so the, the Lord ministered to his needs at this hour and, um, and into the future. Yeah. He's, he, he, I think he's, his prayer would be, Lord, come before I go. <laughs> but he'll go anyway and see the Lord if, if he doesn't come before. That's a, a blessing there, and the blessing I said as yesterday... And they, they gave me opportunity to, to share um, some thoughts at Benalla. And my thought came from Philippians chapter 1, verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day till now. And I was able to say that literally to them because... From the first day that their first pastor turned up in Australia, I met him at a Church of Christ meeting in Clayton. And uh, from that point, got to know them and went to all the camps, the first summer camps in Moama, two of them. Hillsville at the Ferns for two years and then Bright one year and then we bought Murrindindi for 15 years. And then we did Crystal Creek since 1991 till whatever, that's about 30, close to 30 years. So it's time goes. How did that go so quick, <laughs> those, those years of um, ministry and time of blessing and all their pastors down there? So it was a, bless a real blessing to be there yesterday and to enjoy their fellowship from the first day till now. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. But they continue. They continue to be a, a gospel-preaching, sound, fundamental, Bible-believing church, Amen. as we too here would endeavour to do. John chapter 15, you um, put your marker in there, we'll be moving right away from, from that to Isaiah chapter 5. Remember we're looking at deity's declaration, we've looked at I am the bread of life that men might be satisfied. We've looked at I am the light of the world that men might see and the last one we looked at I am the door that men might be saved. And this morning we look at, I am the vine, that men might be sustained. 
that they might be sustained. And that we find in John's Gospel 15. The Lord often used practical, everyday illustrations. And it's no different as we look at this parable today. To minister to the people, he helped them. He took it from where they were, what they understood, to where they were not. That they might understand. And this is what he does with the vine. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, he used parables as in the New Testament. And this in Isaiah chapter 5, if you've turned there, verses 1 and 5 introduces us to the thought on the vine. He used the vine several times in different ways. Here speaking of these Old Testament saints of Israel. And we read in verse 1, And I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved had the vineyard in a very fruitful hill. He hath fenced it and gathered out the stones. <laughs> if, you go to, if you go to Israel, Barbara and Brian are going in March, look at the rocks. <laughs> gathered out the stones. You can see anyone wanting to be a farmer in Israel has to gather the rocks up first. They're everywhere. <clears throat> he, he dug it and gathered out the stones and planted it with choice vine. And built a tower in the midst of it, probably with the rocks he gathered from off the paddock. Um, and also made a wine press in it. And you can see one of those in Israel. Uh, we went and saw, I don't know what town it was in now. It was a great big log and, and, a, and, a, and a huge stone halfway along it and a balance on the other end of it. And they'd lift this thing up and they'd put all the grapes in and they'd bring this big rock down and crush all the grapes and it'd come out a trench on the other side. That was a, it was an authentic one of how they did it, not with their feet. I don't know if the Jews ever... They did because the Lord said in Revelation that he trod out the grapes with his feet and the blood, the, the juice splattered up on his garments. But <clears throat> they did this, they built the wine press. He took and he looked for it to bring forth grapes, of course. And it brought forth wild grapes and now O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah judge I pray you betwixt me and my vineyard what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have done for it wherefore when I look for it to bring forth grapes brought it forth wild grapes and now I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard I will take it away its hedge and it shall be eaten up and break down its wall and it shall be trodden down and so this is a, a parable of the vineyard of Israel what a sad story as we read that <clears throat> at great cost he had planted it it tells us here at great cost, a lot of work a lot of effort he put into it and when he come to get for the uh, Produce from it, he got wild grapes. He got nothing. He got nothing. I wonder today, as we think of an application for that, what's he getting from us? Of all that is invested in us, what is he getting from us? And I know that, and I mentioned it before, that back in the 90s, when they were planting all the vineyards east of Melbourne up into the Yarra Valley, it was costing them $10,000 an acre to put the vineyard in. That was a big dam, about 100 meg. And then they'd put the fence, the, the posts and the wires and the deep rip and 
and they put irrigation, special irrigation systems in and, and all the vines and everything like that, $10,000. And it'd probably be double today, that price, to put it, put it in. And, and, and back in those times, everything would be in proportion. They'd have to spend that sort of money to, to get that. And, and the Lord is saying, I've invested. I've invested in you. What's, what am I getting in return? <clears throat> Dreadful callousness. Wild grapes. A disregard for what God wants in our life. And this goes along with the message this evening about our talents. A deliberate, willful compromise that they had. They worshipped idols. And God had to take them out of the land. First the ten tribes, the northern ten tribes. And then Judah and Benjamin, the southern two tribes. Take them out of the land. By the Assyrians first. And then secondly, Judah and Benjamin by the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar. Does God have to take us out of our blessings that he's bestowed upon us to make us wake up? I pray not. To get rid of the idols in our life? I pray not. But sometimes he has to remove some things. Remove, he removed the hedge, the fence. And then the animals come in and ate it all up, as it says here. And so it is in Israel, and so it can be in our lives. Dire consequences. Judgment falls. So... The fruit, a fruitful hill was Israel. He likened that to a, them to a fruitful hill. Let's go to Matthew 21. His, uh, the, this is the only one in the Old Testament that I, I could find of the grapes and the vineyard. But here in Matthew 21 and verses 33 to 44, <clears throat> another parable put he forth, a certain householder who planted a vineyard. And so he planted a vineyard and he leased it out to tenants. You remember that? Um, <clears throat> he sent servants sometime later to gather the produce or the money that they owed him for renting this out. And they beat them, they killed them, they stoned them. Then he said, I'll send my son and they will reverence my son. What did they do? Ah, here comes the son, let's kill him. And they did. Israel did do that. <laughs> he sent them servants. Where can we find a list of names of how Israel treated the servants of the Lord that he sent them to collect the money, to collect the rent, we could say. Hebrews chapter 11, thank you. Hebrews 11, where all those faithful saints were martyred, sawn asunder. All these things happened to them by, at the hand of the people that God had so blessed. And, they, and then he sent his son, and isn't that what Hebrews is about? <laughs> The shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who came there. They seized him and they killed the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. Each gospel, as you read through it, ends with this happening. The rejection and the crucifixion of the Messiah, the Son of God. As it reads in John 1, 10 to 11, He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What a blessing. He didn't cut it off and say, that's the end of it. I've done with this vineyard business. I'm, I'm getting rid of Israel, getting rid of people. I'll start again or just forget it altogether. No. He offers salvation and for 2,000 years he's been offering that salvation. And what is happening, folks? What is the church doing? 
Is it becoming an unfruitful hill like Israel did on Isaiah 5? I think so. Everything but the truth will be taught from pulpits, but not the truth of the word of God. Man's idea is not what God is trying to tell us from the scriptures. So there's a failure and a fruitless undertaking as as the Lord looks at Israel, Matthew 21, if you're filling out that bulletin there. So there's a fruitful hill, there's a failure. To a, he's pointing and likening Israel to a failure and a, and a fruitless undertaking, but it wasn't totally fruitless. The Son of God came and has been offered as our substitute. And the Lord used the illustration of a vineyard in the New Testament again in Matthew chapter 20. And this shows, as it were, his frustration with the lack of servants. He came out and and he's going to harvest the grapes. And uh, way back in in 1930, late 30s, my mum (laughs) used to harvest grapes at Mildura. I didn't didn't talk to her about it, but I know she did. And um, she went up from Lascelles, where they lived, and harvested grapes. And um, I remember the picture, that's right, on an old T-model Ford or something, and all the pickers were standing on the T-model Ford. And as in the morning they sent them out, and I'd like to start at 9 o'clock or earlier in the summertime when grapes are ready, but sent, them, sent out servants at 9 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, at 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, or the 3rd hour, 6th hour, ninth hour, 11th hour. And uh, he came out at the 11th hour and said, why are you standing here idle all day? 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he still sent people into the harvest. And it was all to teach about reward. God is just in giving a reward of equal proportions to whatever time you start. And uh, <clears throat> the, the, the husbandman was frustrated that these grapes were going to waste if... A storm come and they would swell and burst. So he shows his frustration. And now we come to this one, John chapter 15. And this one is to show his desire for the fruitfulness of his people. For fruitfulness of his people. There's a lesson about reliance, about reproduction, about responsibility, reality and relationships. And so the, the words in chapter 15 follow from verse 31 of chapter 14, where it reads, But that the world may know that I love, that I love the Father, and the, as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Let us go from thence. He says these words and then speaks chapter 15 and 16 and these two chapters are spoken on the way going thence so where's he going from what's just happened they've had the supper the last supper and they're going let us go so they're rising from where they were to go to the garden of gethsemane this is the last night of the lord's life before he was crucified and they've passed over the temple mount most likely going right past the temple and it's interesting to to read the different Gospels of what happened on the way to the Kidron Valley and up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is one of those. They've probably gone out the eastern gate, gone down the valley to the to Kid, to Kidron Valley and gone past fir trees and gone past a vineyard. 
and he might have well stopped right there at a vineyard. There's no vineyards there now. There's only graves, rocks everywhere. <laughs> but it takes about half an hour from the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane on the, on the slopes of Mount, the Mount of Olives. And so <clears throat> this is about two or three hours before the Lord is arrested. And it's interesting to think of that because here is some last words to his apostles. These are last words to his disciples. And the last words of people to you are important. Brother Rex, Brother Rex, you're probably listening. <laughs> they, they mean this is serious. And, and he was serious about this. And he is desiring these people to be fruit, fruitful. You see, up till now they had had him with them. Now the responsibility of taking this message was falling on their shoulders. And he wants them to be fruitful. This is their responsibility. He also spoke of the world's persecution that was going to come upon them and of the Holy Spirit's coming, still future from this point. And that was at Pentecost. Let's pray as we go through the points on chapter 15. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word that's been given. Thank you for these serious words, these last words. We might say a bit of a will and a testament for us from yourself as you were about to be crucified, arrested, captured, cruelly crucified, judged without a cause. And Lord, I pray that we take them to be serious in our life because you want us to be a fruitful hill, not an unfruitful hill. A fruitful vineyard, not an unfruitful one. Lord, we do pray for those that are not able to be with us and we pray for Brother X, encourage him, strengthen him. Lord, we ask your blessing on this particular word now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> The disciples' responsibility falling on their shoulders. There's a lesson here about reliance. The first point there to fill in. <clears throat> we need to rely on the Lord. How does the song in Sunday school go? He is the... Don't you know it? He is the vine and we are the... He's banner over me as love. Tony, you don't know it. Okay, we'll have to get that one. It's still in my head. <laughs> Singing that song, He is the vine, we are the branch, and his banner over me is love. I won't do that. <laughs> I, just... <clears throat> I only ever sung one solo, and that was when Mr. Siggs was here. Mrs. Siggs. And they compelled me and Glenn and three bass people to try and sing, didn't they? But you did pretty well. <laughs> but... He is the vine and we are the branches. And <clears throat> I was looking and nobody came up with it. I suggested it on Wednesday night, a song that has to do with the vine in our hymn book and I can't find one. Uh, maybe you can give me a hymn later huh, that we could have sung this morning. But a lesson about reliance. If he is a vine and we are the branches, <laughs> can, can we do without the vine, the roots in the ground? No. The branches must be connected. And it, it, <clears throat> he suckers us, as we've written down there. In Hebrews 2, verse 18, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. We, we draw that from him, that succoring, that helping. 
He strengthens us. 1 Peter 5.10 But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So he succors us, he strengthens us. Establish, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And this comes from being reliant upon him. Oh, a hard lesson for pastors to learn is just to be reliant on the Lord. You're just a vessel for all Christians. If he doesn't do it, it's not done. And it has to be done in his power, for his glory, through a human vessel. And so pray that God would have me to be reliant upon him, to strengthen, to succor, and yourself also, and to sustain as Psalm 55 verse 22 reads, Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he will sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And he also establishes us as 1 Peter 5.10, we've already quoted, tells us so. So there's the reliance. Stay connected to him. Are you even connected to him? Are you a branch of the Lord? Are you his vineyard? Are you a Christian, in other words, is what I'm asking. The second point here is a lesson here about reproduction. If you look through those verses that we read and down even into verse 16, you find here eight times the word fruit or fruitfulness is used. And so are we fruitful? Some say a Christian's fruit is another Christian. Sounds logical. For the fruit of a grape is another grape. Have you ever grown a grape? They're so easy to grow. <clears throat> if you see a grape you like, somewhere in someone's garden, or be careful what you do, <laughs> just take, <laughs> take a cutting from it, not when it's got the leaves on, when it's bare and, and you know, about that long, and stick it in the ground. Oh, you can put in some hormone stuff first if you want to. That might, might help it a little to get it going. Stick it in the ground, it grows next year. <laughs> That's easy. Uh, you know, isn't it easy to be saved? <laughs> yes. All the work's been done. We just trust the Lord. And he wants us to be fruitful Christians. So, <clears throat> yes, is another grape, another vine of the same sort. I tried some orange trees this year. There's only one green stick and it's got no leaves on it. I must have did it too late. <laughs> Started too late for it to, to root properly. I read up on how to do it. didn't work. But this is we're talking about grapes and they're much easier. Um, <clears throat> the fruit can not only be another Christian. That's one thing. And let's go through three things here. The fruit of character. This is a fruit of being connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like brings forth like, does it not? In the, the book of Galatians, chapter 5 and verse 22. This is talking here about being filled with the Spirit of God. In chapter 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. What did it call this? The fruit of the Spirit. So this is character. And I think this comes before the grape. The fruit of character. Sanctification, we might call it. 
that we become more like him than we were yesterday. We become what he wants us to become because it's not a good testimony to go and testify to an unsafe people and behave like an unsafe person yourself. They've got, you've got to have a testimony to be able to share a testimony. I am different to what I used to be. God has delivered me, become more like him, made in his image. There's a whole series on that we've watched before. The fruit, secondly, of conduct, of conduct. Not only character, sanctification, but conduct. Spirituality, that is to behave more like him. Not only to become more like him, but to behave more like him. The fruit of righteousness, that is our conduct in Philippians, where we were just a moment ago, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And so the righteous conduct is a fruit. God wants to reproduce after his kind, after his son, and we are his sons. So righteous conduct. And thirdly is what we started with, the fruit of converts. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 13, speaking of the fruit of converts. And there's many references that could be used for this, isn't there? There's like, go ye into all the world in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Now, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, beginning at Jerusalem and, and spreading out from there, taking the message of the Lord out. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 13, we read there, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. And what happened to other Gentiles when Paul was amongst them? They got saved. The fruit of converts. In fact, you only have to go over to Romans a little, well, verse 16, just down a bit. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He was getting the message out. Did he have the fruit of character? Yes. But was, he a, was he a good character before he got saved? What was Paul like? Angry, bitter, mad. <laughs> Tony told us this morning, not quite like that, but... <laughs> We're talking, tracing Paul's life. He was a mean, murderous individual. He called himself the chiefest of sinners. His character had to change before he could testify of God's grace, didn't it? And it did. And it took him about three years in Arabia that we discovered this morning in the book of Acts. That as he went out there, the Lord taught him a lot of lessons and a lot of truths that he might go then and, and, and people... Uh, it was about four, four or five years after, or was it 15 years, when he went to Jerusalem. Uh, I think it might have been 15 it mentioned. 15 years afterwards, he went to Jerusalem, and they were all a bit dubious about him. <laughs> we know who this man is. <laughs> they were frightened to associate, but Barnabas said, come on, he's right, he's saved, he's changed, he's got a good character now. <laughs> And his conduct has changed, and now he's preaching the gospel that he once destroyed. God wants us to do that. <clears throat> we are to show the fruit of godly character and conduct as well as the fruit of converts to him. If we're not bearing this kind of fruit, we are worthless, is what it's saying in this, this parable as we read it this morning. And uh, 
we are sapping the vine of its strength and not having any fruit. If you've ever had grapevines, it's like roses a little bit. What do you do to make them fruitful? Oh, really prune them back. Like the roses, you just have knobs in the wintertime with a stem. And they all come out. You cut them right back next year. Same with the grapes. We had grapes in our yard, all around our yard. I just love grapes, but they're all gone now because the birds beat me to them all. And what's the use of feeding the birds, especially the blackbirds? Don't like blackbirds. And little gold eyes, they're Aussie ones. They come and pick, covered them all with stockings. They were fruitful, great big bunches of grapes. And they'd drill through the stocking and put a hole in the grape and suck it dry. And um, I love gold eyes now because I haven't got grapes. But I didn't like them then. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they were fruitful. Sent the kids. I remember sending the kids to school with bunches of grapes um, from the vine. God wants us to be fruitful. Are we producing after his kind, which is our kind, the Lord Jesus? <laughs> The lesson about responsibility. Really, all these things tie together in verses 2 and 3. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Just what we've been saying. He purges the vine to bring forth more fruit. If you wanted to be fruitful, cut it back. It's not being mean. I see that in some vineyards now, they have those things that they had in England to do the hawthorn hedges. They have like you have your hay cutter go down like that and cut the hay, they have them up, up like this and they've got two of them, they go right down the centre of the, the, vine, the, the rows of things and they just mow them off and cut them back. And uh, I've just, <laughs> I have relatives that go in and prune the vines and with the secateurs, you know what it's like? Cutting, cutting and 15 people will turn up in a vineyard of about 30 acres and they'll take weeks to prune them you'll see them there just slowly moving up in the day up then and then start the next day on the next row and can you imagine doing that all day what would you develop repetitive strain injury <laughs> and now they've got electric ones with a battery and you have a <laughs> and cut them off or you just buy a tractor with this and just cut them off and all the dead all the excess branches fall and even while they are growing they cut and prune the vines with all the excess growth. Cut it back so that what happens? The goodness goes into the grape. And this is what the Lord is saying. Tell me lately, what has the Lord cut back in your life to make you what he wants to be? That's what he's doing to all of us as Christians. Is it some desire you have that he wants to get rid of out of your life? And he keeps cutting that one. You know, he, he comes as a vine dresser and secateurs. Does it hurt? For any of us it hurts. When he cuts back, when he prunes, it might be our desires, it might be a lust, it might be some sin that we don't realize is happening, but he needs to do that to us. He needs to purge us that we might bring forth more fruit. We need to, as it is in verse 3, now you are clean through the word that I've spoken unto you. Let's be purged through the word. If we don't do it ourselves willingly, he does it, 
his way. <laughs> and he can bring that about. We call them um, tragedies or accidents. There's no such thing for an accident as a, for a Christian, but that's what the world calls it. But the Lord calls it pruning. <laughs> the Lord calls it purging. It might be a financial purging. You're trusting too much in riches and not on me? Cut. <laughs> there it goes. And the Lord just wants us to rest and rely and relax in him. That's what the Lord does, a purging. Trying your faith, as it reads in James 1, 2 and 3. The trying of your faith worketh patience. Hebrews 12, 11. No chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. But afterward it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. You see, God is wanting to get our attention. And right through life, he's still pruning. Right to the end. Because he wants us to make us more like his son, the Lord Jesus. So um, there's a lesson about responsibility. Read the word. Prune yourself that you don't have the Lord come with his secateurs to prune you. And then a lesson about reality in verses 4 to 8. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. That's the song. <laughs> there. Well, no, that's the scripture verse. He that abideth in. What is the word that's coming up over and over again here? Like the word fruit, the word abide is here. This is the reality. We need to abide in him. This means living every day in conscience, conscious dependence upon him. Depending upon him, communicating with him, reading his word. And every decision we make, rely upon him for the decision that is made. How many decisions have we made that are in the flesh and we pay the consequences for that? And he may let us go and do it. He let Israel go on for a thousand or more years in their own will, but he eventually pruned. <clears throat> they didn't abide in him. Every day conscious of his presence. Paul said, it, he put it like this in Philippians, that I might know him and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his what? Death. Pruning. Pruning. <laughs> abide in him. How? What, what happens to the branch that's pruned as it falls to the ground dies it's dead withers up <clears throat> abide in him stay connected stay connected how do we stay connected with the lord jesus it's simple <laughs> keep reading your bible keep praying to him keep meditating upon him in his word otherwise you'll be taken away and cast forth. The three steps to lifting up his rebuke is in Hebrews 12 that we haven't got time to look at there when he prunes. We've mentioned one of them already there about chastisement. Not nice, but necessary. Abide in him. A lesson about reality of staying connected to him. And the last one, a lesson about relationships, comes up in verse 9. <clears throat> Well, we read verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. In this is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. And there's, a, there's different degrees of fruit no, Notice there. In verse 1, or verse 2, it's more fruit. 
in five it's much fruit and eight it's much fruit and it's remaining fruit in verse 16 fruit that continues it doesn't drop off the vine <laughs> keeps growing fruit be like the millennial vine fruit all the time <laughs> and <clears throat> continual fruitfulness god wants that much fruit so shall you be my disciples as the father hath loved me and this is where it turns to our lesson about relationships even so i have loved you continue me ye in my love if you keep my commandments ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That, that thought of abiding, staying connected, continues on into this relationship. Abide there in him. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Spend and be spent for the Lord toward other people ye are my friends if you do whatever i command you and this is a, this is a lesson about relationship here <clears throat> we are the losers if we don't abide we are the losers if we don't love there's a loss of fellowship they're cast out verse 6 tells us for not abiding in him there's a loss of vitality they are withered in verse 6 dead and dried up and they're like the crackling thorns to be gathered up or to rot on the ground or to be gathered up and burnt and they burn furiously when you gather the dead vines that are dried up loss of fellowship loss of vitality in the christian life and loss of reward as well you're unfruitful and in eternity the consequences will be seen yes we're saved and we get to heaven but as first corinthians 3 tells us there's a, and John tells us there's reward or loss of reward. And a dreadful thing for us to lose out on reward because we didn't remain connected, we didn't abide in him and we were not fruitful. And it, God's got a design and a purpose for us all to bring forth in our life. I've said before, there's a trouble of being in a church for 40 years or whatever. It's 40 years we've been the pastor when Sarah turns 40. We won't ask her when she turns 40. <laughs> that day, actually, is when we become pastor. She was born. Um, <clears throat> it was an assistant, I think, for a... Doug, was it a year and a half? Or something like that before. Oh, he's just awake. <laughs> no, I asked him a question on the spot. <laughs> but, <clears throat> yep, fruitful. And, and you start for, forgetting how many times you <laughs> repeat something my children often remind me or my wife you said that before i was reminded on the way home from vanilla last night you, you said that before no i was reminded at vanilla by a deacon of the church oh you told us that last time <laughs> and i said well that was for the ones that weren't here last time <laughs> yes <clears throat> remain in him now i've forgotten the illustration see how old i'm getting <laughs> i'm trying to think of it <laughs> But going back here, a lesson about relationships. His investment in our relationship is large. He's built the vineyard. His intimacy in our relationship is seen in verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, but 
For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. Friends. God calls us his friends. <laughs> That's intimate. And, and, and if you want to go a step further, he calls us his bride. That's intimacy. <laughs> Great investment. He made the world. He created us. He's given us life and he sustains life for us to have eternal life. Intimacy. Great love that God has for us. And his involvement. Seen in verse 12, 14, 16 and 17. His involvement in our relationship. In verse 16 we read, And ye have not chosen me, have chosen you, and ordained that you should go forth and bring forth fruit, and that your fr fruit should remain, and whatever ye shall ask in the Father in my name, ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He is involved in our lives. He wants to be involved in our life. He lives within the Christian. His spirit lives with, and he's involved in everything that we do. He's involved. Love the brethren. You know, <clears throat> as a pastor, I don't want to waste time with those that want to be fruitful, fruitless that don't want to be fruitful. And oftentimes, even in families, it's the case where the parents spend all the time trying to correct this wayward child. And they don't spend their time with the child that's doing the right thing. And the one that's doing the right thing seems to get mum and dad's attention after do the wrong thing. <laughs> even if it's a spanking, they, they, they like the attention. I think so. <laughs> But as a pastor, I see that. And I think I should start practicing that. Because the tendency is to jump in and try to kickstart those that are not doing the right thing. Folks, we need to pay attention to the people that are doing the right thing. And honour them. You get what you honour, it says in the book of Proverbs. If you honour the disobedient, you get disobedience. If you honour the right, you get the right. And so, <clears throat> as a pastor, my task I see, and I see it more clearly, is what the Lord said, one of the last things he said, feed my sheep. Preach the word. And if folks decide not to do the right thing, on their heads, it's on their shoulders, not mine. You have to decide to do it. You can't be babysat all your life. You've got to grow and become a godly individual. Stay connected. Be fruitful. It will be to your eternal blessing if you do. And it will be the opposite if you don't. Loss of reward. Let's pray. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the brief look we've had at this wonderful portion of Scripture, Heavenly Father. You are the vine and we are the branches and you sustain us through life. May we be more reliant, trusting and resting in you. And Lord, may we get out of our lethargic position as Christians and start becoming ones who can be depended upon, ones who want to put their hand to the plough and the work and do the work of the Lord that you've given us to do. The blessings might be ours and Lord, we think of others and not of ourselves as your word tells us as our Saviour exemplified.
Lord, bless us as we go our way. And Lord, if there's someone here today that's not connected, they're not even a branch, they're not saved, they're out in the world, may they trust in the Lord Jesus as their saviour and become part of the vine and fruitful as well. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.